Welcome to Gun Owners of America's State of the Second podcast. I'm Kaylee. And I'm John. And today we're talking with Chase from EAA. Chase, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. How are y'all? Doing all right. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, awesome. Been kind of looking forward to doing this. So, you know. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> so, Chase, tell us who EAA is, how the company got started, and a little bit of backstory. So we are European American Armory. We are an importer of firearms to the United States. So the company was started in 1990. We've been importing now 33, almost 34 years. So we bring firearms over from Europe, hence EAA, and we bring them to the American market. So we go out and source extremely good quality firearms at a reasonable price for the American market. And that's basically the business model of EAA since the beginning. And we've had, you know, we've had guns from several, several countries, like currently we do, you know, currently we have Turkey, we have Germany. At the moment, we've done Italy, we've done Russia, we've done tons of different things. But, you know, right now we've got some really stellar brands that we're working with, some extremely high quality firearms at a very, very reasonable price point. And that's the whole business model we whirl with is so we want to have a gun that the average consumer can go out and afford, especially in this economy right now because they're doing a very good job on that for us. Yeah, and I, I applaud you guys for that one. You know, bringing people into the Second Amendment community who may not be able to afford it and bringing Correct. them in at a good price point. Um, and we'll touch on some of your products later, but being an importer, you have to follow the sporting purpose in the 1968 oh, yes. Gun Control Act. So can you explain what the 1968 Gun Control Act means for an importer and yeah. what that has to do so for you guys? Some people are familiar with the 68 GCA. Some people are not. But for an importer, it's a lot different for us because we are hampered by the GCA because there's certain things I cannot import. You know, if I went over and found a really cool, say like an MP5 clone or like a SIG 550 or something cool that people want, you can't just readily import those without making them compliant. So you have to import them over and 922R them. Basically you have to put so many American made parts, assemble them here, all this madness to make it okay. So that's why you see some of these firearms that come over that are really good quality guns, but the price immediately goes up on them. It's because you have to do all this American manufacturing. So you're hampered by, you can't do muzzle brakes or threaded barrels. You, you know, you can't do collapsible or extended stocks or anything like that. So you're hampered by all that. So, you know, some of the cool tactical shotguns you can't do. That's why, you know, you can't get a legitimate M4 in the country without paying a lot of money for one to bring it in and have it done yourself. So things like that. So the problem with the GCA in that aspect is, I'm severely hampering some of the stuff I would like to go after. There's a lot of really cool products out there I like to bring over, but I just can't do it because you're you're caught up in the sporting regulations. And we can kind of go into depth like how they do that because ATF has like a scoring system on this. And it basically you have to submit a firearm to the ATF and you have to go, mother, may I bring this gun in and sell it to the American public? And they literally go through, evaluate the gun, they score it and they give you a scorecard Literally, if you don't score at least 75 points, it's not considered importable. Plus, they can make the determination if they think it's a sporting meets the sporting criteria or not. So you have to play within those reasons. That's why you see like companies like us, we do mainly shotguns and handguns because there's just so much stuff I would like to do that I can't do. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know basically what the 60, why the 68 Firearms Act 
or Gun Control Act came into place. It had to do with a lot of cheaply imported, you know, 25 autos, 32 autos, Correct. things like that. Yeah. And they called the, the Saturday, Saturday Night Special yeah. Clause. Basically. And they just get rid which hampered everyday Americans who could have... It brought in an affordable option for everyday Americans, and you're taking away their rights because they're sad. They put a label on them, just like they do with everything else nowadays. That's why you don't see a lot of like super small subcompact imported guns because they don't follow those regulations. You have to worry about certain calibers and certain size limits apply to that. So if I try to bring something in that's too small, like we like for example, I have a Gerson subcompact 1911 that's about as small of a handgun or like the new 14t the tip up those are about the small as you can really get without running into the gca issues again because it's not going to make the points it's not going to make the criteria and they literally have i'll supply you one i'll show i'll give you a scorecard because i've got copies of it i'll show you what it looks like but they literally have a scorecard and they, they go down it's like pistols revolvers shotguns whatever and they mark off if it's, you know, you've got your overall length is five inches on a barrel versus four inches versus three inches or whatever. You all get scored on that and everything gets added up at the end of this. It's height, weight, it's height, um, overall length, overall height, sights, grips, everything goes into it that's considered like adjustable sights or target grips or anything like that, add points or subtract points depending on what it is. And that's how they score them. And then the ATF, the tech branch, Fat D is who does it, the technology branch, the ATF, they evaluate it and then they tell you, congratulations, you can import this or no, 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 we don't like this, you can't have it. Yeah, and we've talked, before this, we talked in depth about some stuff you can't go into about what they do. It's just against the Second Amendment rights and you can't, it hampers you as a company. It hampers us, I mean, it hampers everybody because there's a lot of cool stuff I want to sell to the American public at a reasonable price point that I can't do because you run into the issue of mother may I, and they're like, oh, we don't think so. And with the current administration, just making stuff up as they go along, because we all know that's exactly what's going on right now. We're changing the definitions of rules. We're changing how we interpret things. It just makes it so much harder on everybody. It's hard enough on the industry as a whole. It gets really hard on guys like us that are trying to bring this stuff in because I have a whole other layer of bureaucracy to go through because you've got to make customs happy. You've got to make the ATF happy. You you know, it depends on what it is, what you run into, which agency you deal with, but predominantly ATF is the one that controls what you can and can't bring in. But it's it hampers, and it it ultimately affects the American people, the consumer, because they can't buy certain things they want to buy. And you, we hear it all the time, like, why can't you bring this in? Or why can't you bring that? Or why can't you do this? I would love to, but the government says I can't. Well, you you go to EWA, and that's probably one of the times you get most questions. And when EWA happens, a lot of, and for those of you who don't need, know what yeah. EWA is, EWA is SHOT Show, but in Europe. Yeah, it was a really cool show, because there's a lot of cool stuff in Europe you'll see that you're not going to see in the United States that would be amazing products to sell in this country, but we can't do it because of current regulations rules regulations you know they some are hard and fast rules and some are you know rules that they have interpreted recently or reinterpreted or you just have to you have to stay on top of it's a problem you know we talk to i talk to them pretty much weekly you know i'm having to you know because i mean we do normal processes so i'll give you an example of how this works so like the average person doesn't understand how importation works so what we do is 
I have a gun that's already approved, something that we are already currently selling. I have to fill out a form. It's a, basically, it's a Form 6A. You have to come in, fill a form out, and request to bring in X, whatever amount of firearms I'm bringing in. I have to bring them in and then resubmit that form back to the ATF after we've brought them in, verified everything's here and all that, that we do it. So every time I bring a gun into the country, I'm having to do all that paperwork every time. And so, I mean, think of somebody, that if the average consumer, somebody may have bought like a suppressor, bought a short barrel rifle, somebody's done a form four, they see the level of paperwork that is, it's very similar to what we do, I do on a weekly basis. And so that's just one of the fun parts of my job is getting to deal with the ATF every week on doing all these massive forums. And a lot of it's pre-filled out, thankfully, but it's just another level of, it's not like just bringing something into a bound book at a gun dealer or something like that. You have to physically go through all that paperwork every time you want to do something. That's already on a permit. They've already said, yes, you can bring it in. So you already have the okay to do it and the number but now I have to physically account for all that on a separate form. And that's every time we bring something to the country. Yeah, one of the things that I think a lot of people have a misconception about is that the, the bureaucracy or the federal government is just going after the individuals. And they might not see yeah. what's going on at the the firearm industry level they don't or they might not understand it because it's it's not something that's talked mm -hmm. about a lot and that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is to kind of help thread that needle because there's so many different levels that are attacking mm -hmm. the second amendment you have the culture and the culture is upstream from politics. The politics is upstream from the industry. The industry is upstream from the individuals in so many regards, mm -hmm. down to what options you have behind the counter that you can legally acquire. And so I appreciate you going into the depth that you, you're going into because I don't think conceptually a lot of people realize the the reinterpretation of these things is happening constantly and it's a constant moving goalpost it is like I, here's a really good example right now of that so we have been working on we, we brought it out at shot show our witness 2311 our double stack 1911 family so i originally was going to partially make those overseas partially make part of them turkey have part of them produced here in the united states put them together here sell them tons of companies do that it's no big deal because of their changes in the frame receiver rules and how things are, are applied to that now, that submission was done last August. So August 22, here we are, September 23, there's still no determination on that. They just, because they don't know, because they've changed the rules, they've moved the goalposts so many times at this point, and now they're getting their hands smacked in court, they can't comment on it, and so now, Literally, I was told by, you know, I was told by the tech branch that does this stuff. It's like, hey, it's got to go to legal counsel. They have to, you know, review everything because it's a receiver frame. You know, all the rules apply now. And they just, it's just, it's hanging out in limbo until all this is settled. So until the courts are done with the frame receiver rule, that just hangs out in limbo. So I just have to, basically, we just pivoted and we're like, we'll just build the entire gun in Turkey and import it over like we do everything else. But it just totally changed our game plan mid-stride. 
And in doing so, it delayed me bringing those guns into like I'll, the way I wanted to because we already had something set up to do it that way. And now I have to shift, which it's not that big a deal for us to shift because we're already working alongside this company. We're already working alongside Grisson so well anyway, but it just totally changed our plans. Mm-hmm. And the average consumer doesn't understand or doesn't know how all that bureaucracy works or doesn't work for that matter. This episode of State of the Second is brought to you by Cloud Defensive. They care about your Second Amendment right, so much so that they actually refuse to sell their lights to the ATF and other government organizations. Make sure to support someone who supports you by visiting them at clouddefensive.com. Here's a question I have for you, because as an importer, you're, you're looking at new products constantly to bring in. What is the red tape behind bringing in a sample to, to test? That's a good one. And so... It's something we do quite a lot. Actually, here just a little while ago, before I walked up here, I actually got a you know I got a notification that one of the guns we sent into that process actually got approved, so we can bring them in the country now. So the way that works is we go find, say we come up with an idea, we'll take the fourteen T because that was something new. We're doing really well with that. We took that gun and built a design that had to you know you have to bring it over a conditional permit, so you have to bring over. A, you have to fill out a permit to the ATF that says, hey, here's the parameters of the gun. Here's all the specifications, height, weight, X, blah, blah, blah. You have to send that in, and they tell you yes or no will grant you a conditional. Once they grant you a conditional permit, you can import one that goes directly to the tech branch in West Virginia. Like, I don't ever see that gun until it comes back from them. So we can see it in Turkey or we can see it in Germany or whatever country, but I don't see it in the United States until it physically comes back from the tech branch. So, I mean, I get to see the pretty pictures of it when they're like, hey, is this everything correct on this before we send it to them? But so that gun comes in on a conditional permit. You have one chance at this to get it right. You bring it in, send it to the tech branch, and right now they're quoting 30 to 90 days, but we all know how those timelines work. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's not. You know, I've had things done pretty quickly and efficiently up there, and so those guys are actually pretty really good at what they do. Because what's sad is a lot of those guys actually are gun people, and they they really know stuff. They really know and understand firearms, but they're also hampered by the bureaucracy because they've got to play the game too. Because that's their job, and if they don't do it correctly, then that's the, that's the wall everybody keeps running into. Is the bureaucracy just slows down and stops everything? So that gun has to go to them. They have to go through it. They approve it. So now they send a letter back to me, to the company, and it says, hey, XYZ firearm is now importable in the United States. You know, here's your, we're granting you this. So I take that letter and I have to go submit a new permit for X amount of quantity to bring those into the country now. So it's not like I get an approval. Hey, cool, you're good to go. You can start bringing them in tomorrow. Now it's not how it works. And they, you know, usually those forms are are okay in a few days. Sometimes it's a couple weeks. Sometimes it's a couple months. It just kind of depends on what their backlog looks like or whatever. So then you get that back. They send my sample back. So I finally get to see the gun I was talking about, you know, and then from start to finish, it can be several months before I can actually bring a firearm into the country to sell to the general public. So that's what, So people have gotten upset with companies in the past, like showing stuff off at a big event, like a SHOT Show or an NRA show or something like that. 
well, it's not necessarily the company's fault because a lot of times the stuff's ready to go. Because, I mean, we face that right now with the 2311. Stuff was good to go. We were ready to go on that thing. It shot. And then the bureaucracy drug out and is still dragging out on some of that. Because I'm facing this issue right now where if you have a firearm, it's a 1911 base. Everybody knows, 1911 has been around for everybody knows this firearm. So if you have a 1911 that is tried, true, everybody knows it, it's already importable, and you have a double stack version of this that now you have one that's okayed, you would think I could easily just go, hey, it's the same gun, but it's a five-inch barrel instead of a four-and-a-half-inch barrel. So it had the, you know it had points, so this has extra points because it's a longer barrel. Cool, right? It's not how that works. You have to get approval for every single variation. So I can't just go, hey, I have this one. I want to bring them all in. No. If I want to do a S, or we call them an SC, a subcompact, an officer model, I have to get an officer model permit. I have to get a commander permit. I have to get a full-size government permit. We do a six-inch, 10-millimeter. I have to get a permit for that one. You have to do that process for every single one because there's the lack of just, I don't want to say lack of common sense, but that's kind of what it boils down to. The lack of just somebody looking at that going, hey, these are literally the exact same things this one obviously made the points. This one will definitely make the points. You should just be able to make it go okay. But that's not how it works. And that does that on everything. So like MCP 35 is a good example of that. When I wanted to do full-size gun, want to do a PI, hey, got to send a permit in for it. Get it okayed. You want to do all the cool upgrades to it, got to send a permit. Anytime we do any of that stuff, I have to go through that process every single time. And that's the that's the thing the average consumer never sees and they don't understand. And there's a lot of guys in the industry don't understand that because they don't deal with it. If it's made here, it's manufacturing here is a totally different animal than importing them. You know, yes, you have a lot of red tape like anything else made here, but it's a, you have a level of protection because it's made in the United States wholly versus something that's made overseas and brought in. So how does that drive up price point? It... <laughs> It can drive the prices up because when I'm trying to act on, hey, we have a really good opportunity right now, or you know, hey, our current exchange rates are at a really good level right now, we can really make this a better deal for everybody. By the time that stuff is approved, the world can totally shift. So you're, you're, you know, everybody knows how volatile the economy is right now, and the worldwide economy is even worse. So you have to basically just play that into it. You know, obviously the U.S. dollar is stronger than a lot of foreign currencies, so we, you know, can use that to our advantage to be able to bring in a really solid product to sell to the American people at a much more reasonable price point. But when you run into some of that bureaucracy, you know, it may not be as reasonable as we were looking at it at first or for us, you know, we, that just, you know, trying to plan your margins ahead and trying to forecast for all that, it makes it difficult. So... We've talked a lot about the importing side. Let's move on to where the purchase actually takes place and yeah. the gun stores and ATF's mm -hmm. blatant attack on gun stores trying to close as many of them down as humanly possible. They let's are. let's face it, they are wanting to limit the ability for, for new gun owners mm -hmm. to, to be able to 
join the Second Amendment community. Oh, yeah. And then they're also wanting to limit where you, you can buy it. Otherwise, there's no way that their zero tolerance policy takes place. They are. I mean, and I can speak to that somewhat. Like I was on I was on the retail side of this, on that side of the counter before I was over on the industry side. So I've been through a ton of inspections. I know how it is. And most, I will say most of the IOIs, the industry operations investigators, for the average consumer out there who don't know who those people are, they're the ATF agents. They're not actually like gun carrying agents, but they're the, you know, they're the bureaucratic side of the paperwork side of the ATF. They come in and check your records. Most of those people are easy enough to deal with, but you always got some of the hardline guys that are super, super sticklers for everything. And they, you know, they will really go after you if you've got mistakes on things. And I mean, there's always places they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. And, you know, if it's a warranted thing, like, hey, you were obviously selling stuff that you shouldn't be doing to people. That's one thing. But at the average gun store that makes a mistake on a 4473 and they're like, nope, you, you missed this. Or if they send a trace out and you didn't catch it, didn't get the email or whatever, those are immediate shutdown offenses now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just went through it on the manufacturer, like on our side, on the import side of our first inspection, in, you know, since COVID. And, you know, that was something they drilled home is, hey, you need to make sure these points are met. I mean, because you know, we're not doing 4473s and all that stuff to the general public. But, you know, we have to keep all our paperwork in line, too. And let me tell you how much fun it was. And they're like, we need like a year's worth of records. And I'm like, how much time you got? Because there's several thousand. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, hold on a second, you know. And they had to sit there and literally go through all those forms. And I'm like, you called and came. That's kind of on you. But but they, even with us, they drove that point home. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, it is immediate, we can, you know, revoke your license. And if you revoke a license of anybody in the industry, it doesn't matter if it's a small shop, big shop, manufacturer, importer, whatever, that literally kills that part of the business. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't come back, especially on this side of the industry. You start killing off companies, you start killing off distributors, that business doesn't come back. Like everybody thinks, oh, that just goes somewhere else. It doesn't. Like we had two huge distributors close in the last 10 years that, yes, other companies got some of that business, but some of that business is just lost. And that's the, I think that's the ultimate goal for certain people is they want that to happen. You know, you start shutting down more and more access, that's an easier way to control everybody. Well, because that pushes up the price. It does. And I think that's why you have people on the left that proposed thousand percent excise tax. Yeah, is because they want to price people out of their rights. That's it. And so having something that's reliable, re- affordable, mm-hmm. that someone can can start out in the Second Amendment community. Because yep. let's face it, most people don't just buy one firearm and and it's like this is the only thing I will ever have. Right. You usually start somewhere and then you 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 earn a little bit more money or you've trained a little bit more and you're yes. like you know now I'm gonna get something that start, that's start building a little collection. You have a little nest and you just let, you know, let it grow. It's a little family. <laughs> yeah. You know, but. That is the thing is like, you know, you, you are pricing people out of the market. These insane excise tax increases people propose or like they understand they can't just outright take the right away because there's just, there's too much, there's too much up in arms will happen and there's too much. I mean, they just tried it I mean, in they're New Mexico. Trying it. Yeah, exactly right now. <laughs> and it's not, I'm honestly amazed that 
somebody hasn't gone further than they have with her, but that's just absolute insanity that a governor's like, I'm just going to suspend your rights because I can. Yeah. Because that's not how that works. Not how any of this works. Thankfully, we got a, a good ruling. Yes. Um, in that case, and that that happened swiftly. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, there, the anti-gun left continues to get more and more brazen. They do. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that bump stocks happened and then pistol braces and and more and more redefining of the terms. And it's playing by, by different rules and different games constantly. It literally, the whole bump stock thing, especially it opened Pandora's box. When you start changing how you define something, something that's been defined this way under GCA or whatever ruling for 30, 40, 50 years, and now we're just going to change our definition all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You open Pandora's box to people who don't like what we do, don't like people's rights to own this stuff. You start opening up that avenue for them to start pursuing ways of taking stuff away from everybody. I don't care if you don't like a bump stock or not. Don't let them take it away from you. Yeah. I don't care if you don't like an arm brace or not. Don't let them take it away from you because every time it claws away, you look at the NFA Act that's been in enforced since 34. There's no reason that stuff should be on a registry, especially a silencer. That's the dumbest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm I'm trying to have a an article that, you know, will help me not destroy my hearing or my kids' hearing or whoever around me shooting's hearing. You know, they're a buy over the counter in Europe. Hello, Europe. <laughs> yeah. With strict so, gun laws. So super fun fact about that, or maybe not super fun fact. Maybe I'm just a nerd. Um, but OSHA actually endorses the use of a yes, suppressor. Yes, do. And so it's just, it's insane to me that you have governmental agencies endorsing the use of something. And then yeah. everyone else is like, but we But need, they're bad. Yeah, but we need our tax stamp. Because the average... The average mass who aren't gun owners don't understand any of the stuff we're talking about anyway. They don't care to understand. They don't want to educate themselves. They don't learn. You know, and I had that conversation with like, I I like having dissenting opinions with people, you know, because you get to see how they think and why they think that way or whatever. And sometimes you can get them to come around. Sometimes you can't. You know, there's lost causes on everything. But, you know, like a silence people think, oh, it's like movie quiet. And I'm like, have you ever shot one? Like it's not that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And if you think <laughs> if you think trying to get one in this country is hard, try importing one. Like there's a reason we don't even look at that stuff because there's a lot of cool stuff in Europe like that I would love to bring over, but it is so ridiculously drawn out, harsh process, it's just not worth it. You know, that's why you have a lot of these companies that make their European cool stuff in the United States to make that process much easier. It's just the investment's better to do it that way. You brought up Europe, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of people, when when they hear Europe, and I don't understand what they think, but the first thing that comes to their mind is just the UK is very strict on gun control. Europe's really big. Yeah. I mean, bigger than the UK. You look at like some of the the Eastern European countries, a lot of them are big into gun Italy's big into guns. Yeah. There's a lot of countries in Europe. Tons th- of Germans own guns. Yeah. Tons of Eastern Europeans in general. You know, you might need them with current Russian situation, but <laughs> the but that's the thing is gun ownership goes a long way. Like a lot of them, especially a lot of Nordic countries, that's ingrained in their culture. Mm-hmm. You know, once you've been invaded several times, you kind of get tired of that stuff and you want something to deal with it. So 
that's not a, but they, it's to them, it's just, a, it's a tool. It's not like, well, how we think of it, you know, they're play toys and they're fun to deal with, but you don't really think anything of it. It's not like, you know, you're like the left's like, Oh my God, why would you want to walk around with that death dealing evil machine? And I'm like, cause it doesn't do anything unless I make it do it that. But yeah. Well, I think that's the, the, the goal, right? They, they've demonized the gun. Yes. So well. Yeah. And I mean, it really is incredible. Going back to the the Hollywood incident, the the murder that happened um, on the set with with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, and it was the gun's fault. It's hundred percent the gun's fault. And a single action revolver just totally did it on its own. It just loaded itself and it went off on its own. It's crazy how that works. But it's it's insane. Yeah, it's insane that they they have that narrative and they, that ability to shape a narrative so quickly. Exactly. Um, I mean, that was, it was truly remarkable to see how that all played out. Yeah. And it's watching the non-gun people immediately seize on that because they don't understand. I mean, you know, some dad that's taught their son or daughter who's seven or eight years old knows gun safety much better than that. And why that was ever allowed on a set that way, who knows? I mean, there's prop guns for a reason that don't hold live ammunition. What a concept. But... That is so egregious what happened, but it immediately became the gun's fault. And it was immediately a witch hunt on firearms because this tragedy happened. Not the, the ridiculous amount of steps that weren't followed or it's like any other shooting or anything that happens. It's never the things that led up to that. It's the terrible thing that happened. That's the fault. And it's the evil gun that's always at fault. Yeah, you and I both know if... If we have possession of a firearm, we have to take personal responsibility yes. for everything that happens to that firearm. And so it's that double standard and it's that vilification that is so dangerous. Yes. If you have a supercar, it's not the car's fault because you got hammered and ran over a crowd of people. It's That's on you. But that's exactly the reverse logic that's used on firearms is it's the gun's fault if something happens with a firearm. You know, it's immediately... Well, these are bad. These are why these should go away. But all they're doing is they're they're attacking your right directly in any way, shape, or form they possibly can. To circle back, so we've got you. You talked about the thousand percent tax. We talked about zero tolerance on mm-hmm. FFLs. There's a trend happening here now where they're redefining what an FFL is. Yes. So we're yes, there is. You know, you and I and Kaylee, all three of us have a firearms collections unless they all happen to go down in a big boating accident according to some um as a meteorite just fell out the sky it's yeah. terrible i don't but, it's, i'm so sad lost you, it all <laughs> you being in the industry f- for so long and as well as i you bought stuff at good pricing yeah now that if you go sell those and this is what they're trying to redefine is that it's as doing business you go to resell you make Correct. money off of that well you now you're know, an ffl you're an ffl you should have a license for that. Or, so I'm like, hey, Jeff, I, I I bought this XYZ firearm five years ago, and it's just not doing it for me anymore. I'm, you know, I'm thinning down, I'm thinning down the collection. I'm doing, I'm, you know, I'm raising funds for something else. You know, I knew you were interested in this. Hey, you still want to buy it? How does that make me an FFL all of a sudden? Because you're doing commerce and collecting a, you know, collecting a profit for it. Now you're an FFL. How much sense does that make? Do we do that on anything else somebody sells? Other than, you know, if you buy a car and you pay the tax on it when you go get a t- registration on it, nobody 
does this on any other consumer product out there besides things like firearms and you know things you have an actual right to. It's yeah. insane. And if you think about that XYZ firearm, depending upon what it is and how mm-hmm. old it is, that is significant uh, loss of an asset. Like yes. if you have a pre-86 machine gun. Correct. Like, you know, granddad had a first generation single action army that's in impeccable shape. You know, that's insane value of these yeah, things. Those assets that is, are high. Yeah, that is an asset that is passed down mm-hmm. um, and, and it's kind of like, you know, the fail safe, so to speak, as yeah. far as like, if you are ever desperately needing um, cash, like that's an appreciating asset. Correct. And, and this potential rule change could be devastating for people who, yeah. who have treated um, their firearms as that um, solid asset. Absolutely it is. And that's, that's the things that the average person, I don't think pays attention to is every time they change these little definitions or interpretations, it erodes you at small levels, but you don't think anything of it until it's too late. And that's, that's what more people have to, people have to understand and they have to wake up to that knowledge that, you know, they're not your friend when it comes down to it. Like it's a bureaucracy that wants to control you. It doesn't care, you know, what your personal feelings are or your personal situation or anything like that. Well, they like to make up these loopholes. And now the new one is yeah. the fire sale loophole. So if you're closing your FFL or you're, you're closing business mm-hmm. and you have to get your money back for those assets that you paid for. Yeah. Well, now if you sell them at a discount because you're trying to clear your house, then now it's a fire sale loophole. And they I've, tell you you have X amount of days to liquidate your inventory or transfer it to whoever but it's a fire sale now because I'm, I'm going out of business sale. Like other, you know, I could be like every mattress firm in the country going out of business fire sale. Well, <laughs> you can't do that with this because now it's, you know, now you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. It's insane. Yeah. And, and let's just talk about the, the FFLs that are closing. I know we've talked about zero tolerance mm-hmm. policy. We're talking about the fire sale, uh, supposed fire sale loophole um, that the ATF is claiming, but let's not, act like it wasn't very long ago that we filed a FOIA request and, and uncovered that the ATF had almost a billion records on file from FFLs that had closed. These are not legal for them to have. No, they're supposed to be destroyed uh, after, was it, 20 years? It, it's 20 a years? de facto registry. It is. 100% it is. And it is something that... Fully admitted they were scanning, the digitizing all the documents. Yeah. Fully it, admitted I mean, it. It is unbelievable how just blatant they are. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's important that we as citizens stand up, are accountable and and let our voices be known that this is unacceptable and we sue and we do all of the things that we can legally to rein in a bureaucracy that has become a totally rogue agency. There's several in the current government system we have that are just doing whatever they want to do and they're one of them for sure and it's just well we just we're just going to reinterpret this as we see fit to fit our agenda and it puts a strain on all of us it puts a strain on the industry it puts a strain on the dealers it puts a strain on the consumer i mean it's your rights and you're we're the ones that are allowing them to do it if more people don't stand up it's not going to change 
And that's what the average person needs to understand is it's your right, but if you don't protect it, you're not going to have it. That's why, that's why, you know, the second amendment is so important. That's why the founders put it there as a second amendment to the, is because of that. They understood what tyranny really was and they understood what a radical rogue government could do. That's why we fought a war over it. And we're looking at the same bureaucracy now, same overreaching bureaucracy now, and people are just let it happen. Yeah, the founders didn't mince words. They did. 27 words in the Second Amendment. Yeah. They were, they were very clear. Yeah, and it was, well, we're going to try to redefine what a militia is. We're going to try to redefine what this means. Was, no, we're not redefining anything. This is what, that's what this meant then. This is what it means now, and it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Well, Chase, what, you're a big movie fan like I am. What's the first thing they looked for in Red Dawn? Was the first thing that they, when they invaded, what, what did they go to the gun store and look for? Ammo. No. I don't remember. It's been they were, they were looking Dawn. for the 4473. They were. They, they were, were looking for the documents. They, yeah, those in documents. 80, in 84, yeah. they put in Red Dawn, go find the 4473 so we can find more people. Yeah, I'm talking about the yeah. Soviets. Yeah. So, or Soviet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is the documentation. I mean, if you've ever bought a gun, it's on record. I mean, people are like, oh, you know, whatever. I, play, I bought that thing 30 years ago, and government's got it. That place is out of, that place is out of business. It's, it's there. I mean, my old shop, you should see the, you know, hall of records that that place has got. You know, that stuff's all floating around somewhere. Now, it's going to take somebody a long time to go dig through all that because that's all paper intentionally. But it's there. Well, speaking of zero tolerance, we and we taught we touched on the zero tolerance policy, but what a lot of people don't know that part of that zero tolerance policy and what they're going after is also the the uh, multiple sales. And for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know what a multiple sale is, is when you buy two handguns within five business days, a form gets sent over to the ATF. And if you're in a border state and you buy two rifles, a form gets sent over to local law enforcement and ATF. And I personally think that's a huge infringement on our rights. Because why do, why do they care? What's the matter? And if they don't send it in as an FFL, if you don't send it in within those three, I think it's, what, three business days from Three business the days from the sale, yeah. Two. Or if somebody comes in and buys one one day and buys it in that same period, they don't have to buy two together. Yeah. It's still a multiple sale, but it's all for public safety, John. Well, Do the, it for the children. Everybody in... in here, here's from your point of view as an importer. We always scream, "Repeal the NFA." Why aren't we also screaming, "Repeal the 1968 gun control"? Absolutely, Act? repeal the GCA, the NFA, the GCA, the ridiculous importation bans that was done in '89. Repeal all that stuff because all it does is affects us. What we can buy, what we can't buy, what we can and can't do. It's insane the amount of stuff that's restricted that should never be restricted. I mean, there's like. In common, that's another term is the whole in common use. You got to meet those criteria as far as the imports got to be an in common use sporting firearm. But there's tons of, you know, cool sporting rifles or shotguns or whatever that you can't get your hands on because it's not considered in common use. So somebody could develop something that's really cool and neat and new. It may not meet their criteria. Well, you, you said common sense. And common sense should be let everything in the country because it is our right to yeah. own it. Well, the government hasn't used common sense in a long time in any branch of it, but it's <laughs> got to have faith there somewhere. Let's go ahead and wrap this up, Chase. This has been a great conversation, especially giving some people the insight into importation. 
what for EAA, what is new, what is coming, what can you announce, sneak peek, and where can people find you guys? So October 2nd, we're releasing the new MCP35, our new Hakusan High Power Lightweight. So a detective model, a PI, a carry size alloy frame high power. First time it's ever been done. Never been done before. I'm excited for that one. It's pretty cool. And then obviously the 14Ts are doing really well, the tip-up guns. We are just getting ready to release the Lady. So we're doing a ported model, and you'll see more cool stuff in that vein. There's a lot of new – there's some new stuff on the horizon I can't talk about yet. But just wait till shot. Just between shot and NRA. So the conversation we've we've had for months, uh, can I get my hopes up or are you going to break One of those, yeah. One of those I'm pushing real hard for, (laughs) real hard for. He's got some cool, like, conversations we have. There's some cool, I'll I'll say retro stuff that could possibly be Oh, very, very retro, but very cool. Like, somebody sees this one, they will lose their mind, I promise. Especially our generation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be really dope. Um, Chase, where can they find you guys? Uh, Website, socials, all that stuff. Real easy, eacorp.com, and then Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, excuse me, X, or whatever. <laughs> it's all EA Corp. It's super, we're super easy to find, and we're really active on social media. We're active, we're actually pretty active on the website. You can actually get on there and like chat with us via that as well, but super easy to find. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of State of the Second, be sure to give it a thumbs up and a five-star review if you're listening on a podcast platform. You can find us on our social media at State of the Second. Second is spelled out. And visit us at gunowners.org.